här är ett poddradioprogram från Studentradion 98,9. Alla våra program hittar du på studentradion.com eller i vår mobilapplikation Studentradion 98,9. Av upphovsrättsliga skäl är musiken förkortad. In the field of human conflict, but so much owed by so many to so few. Utrikespolitik. Inga pajaskonster. Inte hehe och hehe. Hi everyone and welcome to the first episode of Radio UF in the year 2022. If you are just joining us, we are the official podcast of Uppsala Forging Policy Organization, UF. And therefore our topics are forging policy and societal issues, which we discuss in an informative and entertaining manner. If you have turned in before, you might recognize my voice. My name is Melker. I just finished my bachelor's in peace and conflict studies and I am now studying Hobbes and looking for jobs. Additionally, my favorite Nicolas Cage movie is Con Air. But I have two people with me in the studio. Please introduce yourself and your favorite Nicolas Cage movie. <laughs> Hi everyone, my name is Melina. I was broadcasting with Radio UF last term, so perhaps you recognize my very thick French accent. Uh, I'm still studying humanitarian action and super happy to be back. Unfortunately, I'm really sorry, dear listeners, I don't have a favorite Nicolas Cage movie, but that's for definitely shame. food for thought. Wonderful. And hi everyone, my name is uh, Sara. This is my first time broadcasting with Radio UF, so um, you probably don't recognize my voice. <laughs> um, but I am uh, studying peace and development studies. I think my favorite Nicolas Cage movie must be uh, Racing Arizona. Yes, good one. Yeah. Okay. But this isn't today's subject. Today's subject is uh, pan-governmental regional organizations. And we are going to explore three of these uh, around the world. And we are going to grapple with some questions about regional governance and international cooperation. So tune in after, tune in after the break. We are Radio UF at Studento... It's been a while, okay. <laughs> we are Radio UF at Studentradio 98,9. You just heard Mr. Put It On by AG Club. We are Radio UF and we will start with perhaps the most recognizable of regional organizations, aren't we? Yes, we are, uh, namely the European Union. And uh, what started as a coal and steel community between six countries is today a union of 27 members that cooperate on issues such as trade, migration and sustainable development. And the European Union, as we know it today, consists of seven different bodies that are designed in the principle of checks and balances. And this, the point of this is that uh, it's to avoid that any country or person or institution gets too much power. And out of these seven European institutions, the Council of the European Union and the European Parliament are the main decision-making bodies. The parliament consists of officials directly elected every five years by the citizens in each EU country. The modern EU was founded in the 90s in a context where initiatives to encourage free trade and mobility grew stronger. 
post-Cold War Europe saw an opportunity for economic and political integration and cooperation, and it was generally viewed as a desirable union to join. And quickly, the union expanded and granted membership to several countries, and by the year 2000, the number of members had risen to 20. But a lot has happened since, and today the union faces several challenges. The rapid expansion, some argue, was too fast. And the dream of a unified union has been countered by a wave of Euroscepticism. As you're aware, Brexit happened and made the UK the first country to leave the union. In several other countries, the desire to withdraw has been raised by political parties both to the left and the right. And no new member has been admitted since 2013. Instead, those countries who were on their way uh, to join have been stalled in their work towards membership. So does this mean that the EU isn't as cool anymore? This does pose a challenge to the future of the Union, since it shows a shift in the way of thinking, uh, both from the outside by countries pausing their negotiations and maybe turning to other international actors, but also within the Union. For example, in Poland, a court ruling declared that the Polish constitution stands above the EU law, and this violates a core principle that the EU rests upon, namely that its laws stand above that of each individual country. And getting along is harder than ever, especially with uh, some countries like Hungary drifting away from the previously common line of liberal democracy. Are these signs that the union is falling apart? But the support for the union is still strong in many places. In Sweden, for example, a survey made by the SCB, Statistiska centralbyrån, shows that support for Swedish membership in the EU has been steady around 56% the last few years. And overall, it has almost doubled since 1996. And another survey from Pew Research in 2019 shows that most people in EU countries think the membership has benefited their country. So what is the future of the EU? Are more countries going to follow the UK's example and leave the Union? Perhaps that will depend on the future of the UK. The situation on the Ukrainian border, energy security and climate change are other challenges that I think could influence the future of European cooperation. And with the pandemic hopefully reaching its end, it will be interesting to see how Europe will move forward. Yes. and. Uh... The interesting thing is we are going to move to another regional organization that has quite a lot of co- in common with the EU and we will do that just after the song. That was Stay Soft by Mitski and we are Radio UF at Studentradio 98.9 and on the map we are moving southward, aren't we? Absolutely, absolutely. And this is not a coincidence, because actually, now we're going to talk about the African Union. But the architects of the African Union have not hidden the fact that the African Union was modeled on the EU. So, first of all, what is the African Union? It was launched in 2002, succeeding to the organization of the African Unity, also known as OAU, that emerged in 1963 to unite the African continent amidst decolonization struggles. So the African Union, I will refer to it as AU, is a pan-African organization that is composed of 55 members representing the whole continent. The last member is Morocco, that joined in 2017. But actually, the kingdom had withdrawn of the OAU before, 
after it granted membership to the Saharan Arab Democratic Republic that was set up by the independence movement in the disputed territory of Western Sahara. When it comes to diplomacy and foreign policy, the African Union represents the interests of African states. The Union is indeed a permanent observer at the United Nations General Assembly and has diplomatic missions with the EU and the USA. However, we can see that the African Union is excluded from several global decision-making fora, such as the G20. So, in reality, the African Union does not have as much opportunities to represent the interests of its member states as other organizations. Okay, so what are the institutions of the AU? Like the EU, the AU has a parliament. It is called the Pan-African Parliament that was inaugurated in 2004 and it's an advisory body for African heads of states that debates continent-wide issues. However, unlike the European Parliament, its members are not elected directly by the people, but rather elected by national parliaments of the member states. So it's like parliamentarians that elect those people. It has been argued that the African Union remains an intergovernmental organization, as the highest decision-making organ continues to be the assembly of heads of states and governments, and directly beneath this apex body is the Executive Council, which is made up of the foreign ministers of African countries. So actually, as we can see, the most important bodies of the organizations are basically composed of ministers and head of states. So the AU has a strong focus on development and greater integration of the African continent into the global economy. Actually, one of the flagship projects of the AU's 2063 agenda is the creation and fulfillment of an African continental free trade area. The AU also has a strong focus on peace and security. It aims to protect the security of the continent rather than the sovereignty of individual states. With the creation of the Peace and Security Council in 2004, it has been said that the organization has shifted from non-interference to non-indifference. So the African Union has peacekeeping missions, um, sometimes approved by the United Nations Security Council, sometimes in conjunction with the European Union, sometimes regional mechanisms, and it can also intervene when there are genocides and situations of crimes against humanity. Another, let's say, peace and security mechanism is suspension of uh, members after coup d'etat. So currently, for instance, Burkina Faso, Guinea, Mali and Sudan have been suspended of the AU that strongly condemned the wave of coup that have been ongoing uh, during its annual summit. It's an unprecedented members that are suspended from the bloc and officials weren't against the worrying resurgence of coup. Having said that, in other situations, members have not been suspended. But yes, that's the end of the plata and we'll get back soon. That was Fasna by Rahimik and Fatnasi. Now, of course, we are going to move to the um, to South America <laughs> and 
Now, of course, I could have done the comparatively easy thing and looked at the Caribbean and South American uh, Corporation, CELAC, or the uh, Organization of American States, OAS. But um, I decided to go for the complicated stuff. Of so we're going to look into UNASUR and PROSUR. And UNASUR stands for Union de Naciones Suramericanas, and we're a cooperative economic and political regional organization consisting of South American states. And we have PROSUR, Foro para el Progreso y Desarrollo de América del Sur, Forum for Progress and Development of South America. And they are a cooperative economic and political regional organization of more South American states. Now, how, how do we square this circle? What happened here? Well, that which would later become UNASUR began as a page of intent during the 2004 South American Summit. And by 2010, nine nations had ratified this uh, constitutive treaty of UNASUR. And this led to it becoming a legal entity, UNASUR, in 2011. And at its highest, UNASUR included all nations of South America. The organization was primarily consultative and diplomatic in nature, meaning that the presidents of each member nation had an annual meeting where they discussed regional political issues. But uh, we also had a meeting every six months of uh, the foreign ministers of each country. And then they made concrete proposals for actions and uh, executive decisions. And these meetings were also uh, attended by several representatives from other South American uh, regional organizations. The goal was higher economic, diplomatic integration between the countries via the 12 of the ministerial councils focused on coordinating regional policy. I think the most interesting one is the South American Defense uh, Council, which focused on defense politics and cooperating militarily, um, research and development and things like that. This is where it becomes really interesting because there was a lot of talks about um, creating a sort of closely knit military union from some of the leaders in South America that had a more centralist view of South America. Because even from the beginning of South American independence, uh, there was this movement from none other than uh, Simon Bolivar, the great liberator himself, who wanted to have a more centralized South America, uh, one state basically. But it really didn't work out for him, and this kind of led to his death further on. But I'm not going to talk about the South American revolutions right now. Uh, there's a <laughs> 60-hour episodes on um, the Revolutions podcast if you want to check that out. But the interesting thing is not the organization UNASUR, but kind of why we don't have it around today. Because even though we see some of these um, cooperative efforts during the early 2010s, during the so-called pink wave, where a lot of less left and liberal leaders in South America were elected, we also saw a backlash to that, where a lot of conservative leaders were elected. Uh, we also saw a turning away from international cooperation during the later 2010s and also during the corona pandemic. That is a very big shame, because at the same time when they were needed the most, when, for example, the Venezuela crisis caused UNASUR to basically split up due to an issue with who were supposed to be the president of the organization. And this is where PROSUR comes out, because out of all the South American nations, only four of them are left in UNASUR, because the other eight, they didn't agree with the fact that um, Venezuela, who had done a lot of anti-democratic things up to that point, were to be perhaps the next president. And therefore, they split up, and that is where we are right now. 
where we need cooperation the most because South America has a lot of unifying issues that a regional organization could tackle. But uh, it's probably not going to happen due to the split. But the interesting thing is, now we see a new sort of pink wave with um, latest landslide election of Gabriel Boric in Chile. The interesting thing is he was invited to one of these ProSur meetings where his predecessor was a uh, driving force in the ProSur legislative process. But um, he decided not to come. So who knows? Maybe this is a first sign of yet another split or a return to some sort of unified South American regional governance. That was Boys and Ivy and their song Toronto. And we are Student Radio 98.9. We are talking about regional organizations. And during the break, we talked a bit about some of the contrast between, uh, between the organizations we talked about. And the most interesting one, I think, is uh, comparing that, well, in the case that I talked about in South America with UNASUR and PROSUR, that they are actually willing to split up if there happens something that they can't accept. Absolutely, absolutely. And another thing that struck me in what you said about UNESCO Melker is that countries couldn't handle politicians holding very high positions within the organizations despite being accused of human rights violations or such things. Whereas in the case of the African Union, it has been actually the opposite. Like some presidents being the chairpersons of the AU, whereas they had like very big scandals back home or that kind of stuff. And it has actually undermined the legitimacy and the credibility of the African Union. So that's very interesting. Yeah, I agree. I find it very interesting also how some countries are prepared to split the union or maybe not. And for the EU, I think maybe we're seeing more of that. Well, well, some countries or some parties that are Eurosceptic or are claiming to be a liberal democratic, um, maybe they form like a, a bigger um, or get more influence. And then the rest of the union have to decide how to handle that. That's true. But do you think we could plausibly see a split of the European Union? Because in the case of the EU, there's also the monetary union, which like adds a level of complexity to all that. Yeah, uh, I would say that the reason why this happened in South America is probably because uh, UNOSUR was very top-heavy, and um, without the extensive... Sorry, I hit the mic. Uh, without the expansive <laughs> uh, frameworks, uh, there were a lot of them there, but uh, it would be kind of easier to break up compared to like the EU, who's been, who's been going on for a long, long time, and it's the economic pros and cons and stuff like that. It's my opinion. And you talking about like frameworks and stuff just reminds me about how interesting the discrepancy between the institutional arrangements and what we see in reality is because I feel like in many cases with several organizations we have like very very well written treaties with so many mechanisms and so on but sometimes because of judicial issues those mechanisms are never implemented. Like for instance, in the case of the African Union, of course, two courts were supposed to merge and they were supposed to have more like power and so on. But then in the end, none of the member states actually ratified the protocol that was supposed to implement them. So they're ineffective right now. 
I find that also really interesting. Um, and I think that's a problem that you see in politics uh, everywhere, also on a domestic level. The, the idea that there's a political elite that uh, maybe they implement things, but they don't really know what's happening on the ground or they're not doing sufficient things uh, for the actual people. Yeah, and it's all about trade-off, right? I can see that it's sometimes politically expedient to allow some like flexibility regarding who is to join the union in order to like um, create a more uh, beneficial thing for everyone. But also we can end in, as you said, that there is a legitimacy loss and um, that is something that really undermines the whole organization, especially it gives fuel to, um, yeah, for example, the Eurosceptic organizations. Definitely, yeah, for sure. Okay. We'll be right back. That was Teach Me Love by Sven. S-F-E-N. Welcome to Student Radio 98.9. And uh, we are talking about superpowers? Yeah, well, I just wanted to mention another thing I found interesting while researching this topic, and that was the relationship between these institutions that we're talking about and powerful countries. Uh, And of course, talking about the EU, then Russia is, of course, a very current topic to talk about. But I also read about China's involvement in southeastern Europe and especially in Montenegro, where a Chinese state-owned company has uh, helped finance the building of a highway and that was very much needed and i was just thinking about like how that or what implications that will have if the if montenegro would join the union because uh, they have been in negotiations but these have kind of stalled um, and I think we hear a lot about China's involvement in the African Union or the African continent, um, but not as much like in Europe. But if they have a very embedded relationship with China, um, if they would join, then that would also have implications for the rest of Europe. And what you're saying reminds me of how I feel like big superpowers yeah, superpowers <laughs> are trying to like frame themselves as the saviors of the left, the the left behind. Like for instance, recently we've observed that with micro insular states also that are hit by um, natural hazards. For instance, the Tonga was recently affected by a tsunami, and then apparently China and other powers in the region were really like competing to bring the most humanitarian aid to those like small states and like really trying to brand themselves as like the very gracious saviors of those little countries that not many people care about until we realize that they're actually important in the Indo-Pacific for geostrategic issues. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, and I think the regional organizations are I hit the mic again then they're they're a good uh, counterweight to superpowers because uh, the entire European Union separate they are kind of weak compared to the US Russia or China but combined there's a lot more power and that's why I think it's very important that these organizations exist and also in South America arguably the most influential organization is the uh, grand like the entire America um, their regional organization, but that is very much run, uh, very highly influenced by 
Canada and U- the US. So uh, I think it's very important that these organizations exist, especially in situations where small countries might get used as a soft power ploy. Um, yeah, I agree. And I also think it's interesting to think about whether it's a strong union or if it's like weak and a little bit uh, fragmented and then what implications that has for or superpowers to be able to um, gain more influence in that region. Yeah, it really is. Like compare, like look at the UN. It's people that don't read a lot of foreign policy know that, okay, the UN is kind of weak, but it's by design because if it was very strong and could force countries to do whatever it wanted, then of course people would leave because it wouldn't be in their country's interests. And it's um, it's very complicated, very complex, but it's nice that we can talk a bit about it here. And we'll continue talking about it after the break. Welcome back. That was Mother by uh, Higash Kite. We are going to finish off by some discussions about thinking about the future. And uh, as I said, I think that it very much depends on what people in charge want. Like if we see more people on the left that are pro-international cooperation get elected in South America, then we might see a return of regional cooperation. Uh, What do you think about your cases? Well, as for the EU, I think that even though there is maybe a rise in Euroscepticism, it's still important to think about that. There are also a lot of uh, support for the union. For example, my uh, Dutch friend just told me that uh, a pro-European party in the Netherlands was uh, founded on that premise that they are pro-European, which I think is very interesting and sometimes maybe you forget a little bit about because you hear a lot about these uh, counter forces. So personally, I have a hard time seeing that uh, more countries would leave the the EU, but um, at the same time, I I didn't believe that the UK would either, uh, and I don't think a lot of people did. (laughs) Um, So maybe that depends on how it goes for the UK also. That's very true. And as for the African Union, I feel like it will really depend also on how the current coups kind of unfold. Mm -hmm. I feel like there there may be a kind of test for the um, African Union, so... I will just leave it to that and pass the mic to Malkir. Okay. As I said, it's it's a bit of a cycle. And that's the interesting thing that uh, reading about historical events, it's um, okay. You can see pretty clearly, okay, uh, democracy was on the backslide during the 40s and then it came back. And that's easy because we are we have the benefit of hindsight. But living through the past five, six years, perhaps seven years with Euroscepticism, maybe we've already seen like the turn back towards a pro-Euro movement. It's harder to see when we live each day and have to live history, as it were. Yeah, definitely. I guess uh, time will will tell. As always. The name of the song was I Love This Song by Flower of Love. And uh, we have been Radio UF. And uh, do we have some finishing thoughts? Absolutely, absolutely. And the short version would be Power to the People, but I'm going right. to elaborate <laughs> yes. a bit more on that. Just wanted to remind the listeners that right now we're like discussing institutions and talking about political elites, but. We should also bear in mind that a lot of things are happening on the grassroots level and 
civil society. Yeah, and that's important to keep in mind because we are the people that vote at the end of the day and we decide who will make the rules that we live by. And uh, that's about it. But we have a final surprise for you. We have had a secret guest in the studio during this entire episode who will be hosting an episode next week. Please introduce yourself. Yes, hi, my name is Maud and I'm uh, doing a Master's in Peace and Conflict Studies here in Uppsala. And next week, me and some others, including Melina, will be discussing the anti-vax movement and societal polarization through the pandemic from a European perspective. So tune in next week if you want to hear more. Absolutely. And I just want to add that the Dutch friend was actually Maud, just to see if you've actually followed the episode. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for the credit. (laughs) All right. Thank you for listening, people. And we will be um, signing off by that. Goodbye, everyone. Bye. Goodbye. And tune in next week. Yes. Det här var en poddradioversion av ett program från Studentradio 98,9. Alla våra program hittar du på studentradion.com eller i vår mobilapplikation Studentradio 98,9. Att lyssna fritt är stort, att lyssna rätt är större.